Some things never, ever die. I always remember the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child because it requires a certain number of senators to ratify international treaties. It sounds like a really nice thing, and we kept hearing the claims all during the 1990s that, well, all these other countries have ratified this. But when you look at the deal, remember the devil's in the details, you find that the deal's not very good. It's actually dangerous. Something else that came to my attention recently was the Equal Rights Amendment. And I was thinking, didn't we kill this? Didn't it fail? to meet the ratification vote, but guess what? On February 13th, the House voted to remove the seven-year ratification deadline, which, you know, in reality was really symbolic because the deadline for this expired decades ago, but it seems to keep raising its head up over and over again. And when you look at the details of this, it's not very salubrious either. Anne schlafly is joining me right now, chairman of Eagle Forum, which I'm sure everybody knows is a conservative group advocating for nuclear family, public and private virtue, and private enterprise. So why does this thing raise itself up again? It went defunct decades ago. Well, you are right that bad ideas never go away. They just get repackaged to a new generation. And the problem with a lot of these ideas is that you really have to study them and learn what the ramifications are to understand how bad they are. Because on the surface, equal rights sounds like such a wonderful idea, and people have a knee-jerk reaction to say yes. But then when you look into the details, which is what happened in the 1970s, the more people learned about it, the more they rejected and opposed it. And yes, you are correct that this proposed amendment to the Constitution failed ratification in the 1970s. The idea that they're bringing it back today is not going to go anywhere. I think it's just a symbolic vote to make the women in the House of Representatives feel good, the squad, the leaders of the Democratic leftists. But it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to be a part of our Constitution because it is a bad idea. And the more people learn the ramifications, the more they are opposed. You know, maybe before we look at some of the issues as far as ramification, because like you're talking about, the devil is in the details. And a lot of times these bills, ratifications, treaties are packaged under a nice sounding name that oftentimes does the opposite of what it is they're purporting to do. But back in, what was it, 1982, I think the Supreme Court ruled that the ERA had failed ratification. And what this means is all of the states that may have ratified it to that moment in time, that all expires. And so if you're going to resurrect this, they have to start from square one and get all the states back on. It's not like it's cumulative, right? So they're trying to tack on three state ratifications that were made nearly 50 years ago. Well, three states cannot put an amendment into the Constitution. And ultimately, the Constitution is a contract between the federal government and the states. And one side cannot unilaterally change the terms of the contract without agreement from the other side. The amendment, according to the Department of Justice, is no longer pending before the states. So, yes, the ratifications that were made by the 35 states have expired. As a matter of fact, 24 of those states explicitly said in their ratification that it included the seven-year deadline, which Congress originally gave to the amendment. So those states are not bound by ratifications made by Virginia, Illinois, and Nevada. 
Now, let's look at some of the really worse ramifications of this, as you see it, Anne. And also, I wanted to ask, is this idea, some of these ideas leaking through other legislation? Because like you said, they don't stop. They back up, package it in something else, and take another run at it. When ERA was first proposed in the 1970s, people generally understood what the meaning of the word sex is. But people do not understand what that word means today. It has a lot of brand new definitions that no one ever considered in the 1970s. And so, yes, they are repackaging it into other legislation. The House of Representatives has passed what's called the Equity Act. Now, we are opposed to that act, too. But that would be a statute that would enshrine many of the provisions of ERA by eliminating discrimination on the basis of sex. You see, ERA does not put women in the Constitution. It puts sex in the Constitution. And today, the meaning of sex, well, there's transgender, there's sexual orientation, there are many different definitions of sex now. And so we really don't know how future courts will interpret the language of this amendment. Because what you wind up here is with creeping definitions. It started like with Civil Rights Act, if we look at that. So the original intent of the act is extended in areas where the original framers of that act never intended it to go. The definition shifts and morphs, and then everything that's contained in that applies. And that's the danger of it. Right now in front of the Supreme Court, they're going to decide whether Title Seven, which includes the word sex, also means transgender, and sexual orientation. So this is a very current issue in front of the Supreme Court today. Does a statute that was ratified in the 1960s and used sex in the definition, does that mean how sex is defined today? All right. If people wanted to get more information on this, where can they find it? We're at eaglefarm.org, and we have a tremendous amount of information on not only the Equal Rights Amendment, but a host of other issues that we have concerned ourselves for nearly 50 years now. We've been alerting the public about what is the real meaning of some of the laws that they're trying to pass. And so much of it, as you mentioned, the last 50 years, Anne, has been involved with social engineering. It really started in the 60s. Everything just cascaded on downwards from there. A lot of the wreckage that we see in society today is the result of what happened 50 years ago. We're going to have to recover this because if you notice, it's becoming more and more difficult to live in a society run by these vague and constantly changing rules. That's what intersectionality is all about. It's a way to harmonize all of these conflicting claims on rights, but at the very same time, who can live with it? Because it's always changing. You never know where you stand. The ultimate goal of the Equal Rights Amendment would be to make men and women interchangeable in every situation and thus deny that there are biological differences between men and women. And if you make us into a completely sex-neutral society, women lose because there are protections and advantages that women should and need to have because of their biological sex. And that has to come out. Well, anyway, for now, at least this part of it, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. But like I said, it's been repackaged into other issues. Ultimately, we're going to have to decide whether we really want this in the society. It's going to the point of in extremis, so to speak, from where it started out. And I think the American public is reacting against that and saying, you know, we really don't want to go there. Well, I think in the rise of the sexual harassment charges show 
that there are true differences between men and women. And to try to pretend that they're not is quite damaging to our society. Let's recognize and celebrate the differences. Yeah, it is. And if you notice, there are differences when they need to be, no differences when they don't need to be. It switches back and forth, and it's very arbitrary. They're trying to play both sides of the line. Well, then you don't know where the line is. That's exactly it. You don't know where the line is, so you're absolutely right. Anne Schlafly-Corey, chairman of Eagle Forum, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on. As we round out the show here, let's remember some of the rules of dialectical politics. First of all, I have to remember that all warfare rotates around the idea of deception. But remember that the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the outcome of the revolution. Every other issue is merely a stepping stone to the final goal. That's called an agenda. For every undeclared double standard, there's a real single standard underneath it. And you can detect it after a while by simply watching how this game is played and the standard they actually do apply when various issues come up. Number three, if what is logical in politics doesn't seem to be happening, there's another agenda afoot. There's something else driving it, and you need to look for that. Number four, never allow your opponents to frame the argument, or if you cannot avoid that, get them to reframe it by shaming their framing. If you... I thought it was sort of, I'm putting this together in a little booklet. I haven't worked on it in a while, but I just ran across it again here. Uh, with change agents, remember, the outcome is always predetermined, and that's always social justice warriors as well. It will not be declared, but must be concealed in a host of other intermittent issues. But the outcome is always predetermined. The goal of a change agent is to manipulate you into the conclusion that they want you to think without telling you that that's where you're going. The agenda is forwarded by limiting debate to stages and thus concealing the long-term goal and desired outcomes. Any long-term agenda is busted up into several different intermittent issues where you can contain the debate and prohibiting people from going outside of that area. Getting your opponent to throw, this is number seven, getting your opponent to throw his cards on the table and reveal his agenda, the final outcome, is oftentimes a key to defeating him. When you've been through the cycle several times with the same person, it's easier to do because you just point to the previous cycle and say, see, this is what we did here. Holding your opponent to a single standard is the way to expose his or her double standard and the key to exposing his cards, getting to throw them on the table there. And finally, you know you're getting close to this objective when you meet explosive resistance and virulent attack from the opposite side. That's because whatever it is you're doing or saying, they recognize it as an existential threat. We're at SteelOnSteel.com. I'm John Luffler. The program is Steel on Steel. 